Welcome to the Pinocchio Project. I'm your host, Mitch Friedman. Ideas have consequences, and every day you're exposed to ideas that promise human flourishing. Our mission here on the Pinocchio Project is to equip you to examine these everyday ideas so that you can determine for yourself whether or not they deliver on their promises. Welcome to the Pinocchio Project, where we take everyday ideas that promise human flourishing and vet them through a biblical worldview to determine whether or not they can deliver on their promises. Jeff, I don't know why I just said all that. The people just heard all that when they listened to our intro. But now you really understand, don't you, Pinocchio Project participants? This is Mitch Friedman, joined also, as always, by Jeff Olson. Uh, Jeff, at some point, will speak a poem into the, the mic, but I didn't prepare him for that. He's just eager to get on the air. And so today, the idea we're vetting is an idea that I first encountered when I was a young man, uh, way before Jesus ambushed me toward this new way of thinking about ideas that bring human flourishing. And I vividly remember this idea, encountering it. It was on the rear end of an automobile, a bumper sticker, if you will. And the bumper sticker said, in the form of an idea, Jesus is my co-pilot. Jesus is my co-pilot. And I thought to myself, self, that's an interesting word picture. Uh, I'm looking now into a cockpit of an airplane, and I see a primary pilot. Uh, I guess that would be me and Jesus there to support my piloting. And as we say on the Pinocchio Project, ideas have consequences. And now as I have lived uh, in my Christian life, and I've recognized a bit more of what it means to properly orient myself uh, as a redeemed creature to the Creator's purposes, I realize that I don't think that's a very good idea. Uh, what I recognize is that if Jesus actually is my co-pilot, if that's the, the role I assign him to, this plane is going down, y'all. I have no business in the primary piloting seat of my life. Uh, he has uh, given me every opportunity to fly with him, if you will, if we continue the metaphor, as he is the primary pilot, and he gives me satisfying responsibilities on this journey. He gives me satisfying opportunities to serve him on this journey to advance the kingdom. Uh, but he is to be the primary actor, the primary character, uh, the hero of every story that I'm given the privilege to participate in. Uh, but what I recognize is, as I look around Christian culture, uh, particularly Western Christian culture, that this idea of Jesus now being subjugated to the creature, to the redeemed creature, like Christians saying things like, Jesus is my co-pilot, is uh, absolutely the most popular view in most circles in Western Christianity. And I think the outcomes and the results of those ideas are evident in our sort of uh, diluted, weak understanding of what it means to properly orient ourselves to our Creator and our Savior, our Redeemer's purposes, and make sure that we are always in the subordinate role. You see, just as a matter of headwaters, first principles, uh, there is no creature without the Creator. So uh, Genesis 1 tells us plainly that the Creator uh, had the creature in mind when He put us together. Uh, in his image and with design and purpose and responsibility. 
but without the creator, there is no creature. So by extension and by implication, uh, every story of my life as a creature has to put the creator in the pilot seat or in the first position as the primary character. Uh, but it's so, so rare and getting more rare. Uh, and I hate to keep, uh, I don't know if I'm lashing or bashing uh, the Western church. And believe me, uh, that's a tough position for me to be in because I planted and led the Western church and I'm on staff in the Western church. And by God's grace, we are advancing the kingdom. And uh, by necessity, we're constantly fighting this, I would say, cultural Christianity that insists that self takes primary role and that the creator and redeemer takes a secondary role in ensuring that the self gets what the self needs. And uh, that's a that's a dangerous uh, flight plan and will lead to uh, big craters in the ground uh, with burning rubbish and wreckage everywhere. So uh, just as a matter of proposition, uh, the creator is always superior to the creature. Just just put that in your mind. Whenever you want to take the primary seat, the creator is subordinate to the creature. And what I did as I was preparing this episode, I did something I haven't done yet in uh, a uh, podcast episode. I, I went to the New York Times bestseller list for uh, titles in the Christian category. I mean, if you look at the New York Times bestseller list, you'll see uh, the way they categorize uh, books that are most popular. And uh, there is a, a category for uh, Christian faith and spirituality. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes books uh, are listed there that uh, anybody with any understanding would recognize are not Christian-based at all. But then there's a variety of them that are Christian proclamations, but have tenets that are not necessarily biblically uh, accurate at all. And again, that is a feature of life in Western Christianity. Uh, and our tendency to assume a superior position as creature and abdicate uh, off the throne the creator who is to be praised forevermore. And Jeff said, amen. Yes, I just wanted to spring that on y'all. Anytime you hear me say something like that, that's a bit of a, of a, of a just a fade into a doxology because I'm getting carried away. And so uh, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before the throne... The only wise God who is to be forever praised. And he's right on it. And so are y'all, I'm sure. So what I did is I went to, back to the show. <laughs> uh, we had a lively uh, a pre-recording session with a variety of folks coming in. So that's why the, uh, the wonky juices are flowing a bit. So I went to the New York Times bestseller list to check on, I think it was like the last 15 years of most popular Christian titles. Uh, and... I think my, my proposition that we have a tendency to place ourselves in a superior position to the creator uh, is, is evident in these titles and in the content. Uh, if you really want a uh, an eye-opening experience, just uh, look up some of these titles and check out the table of contents. And if you find yourself agreeing with the propositions in the table of contents and chapter titles, you too may be someone who wants to see Jesus as your co-pilot. So here we go. Uh, here's one. Uh, here's the title. Your best life now. Now, as a, as a Christian who may or may not be interested in biblical accuracy uh, guiding your life, uh, you should have some immediate response to the title for a Christian of your best life now. 
I will agree it's a great time to be alive. But if this is my best life now, then uh, I'm not sure how much I have to look forward to. Here's another one. Very popular book. Sold out. Made lots of money for the author. So I guess it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. The title, Prosperity, comma, The Choice is Yours. And if you look at the contents of the book, uh, Beyond the Table of Contents, uh, you will see that prosperity is couched in material, health, uh, relationship, success, status, and influence uh, in this life, which I guess would be your best life now. Uh, prosperity, the choice is yours. Another title, Every Day a Friday. I don't know about you, Jeff, but I've had some weeks where every day was a Monday. Does that mean I'm not living well? Does that mean I don't have enough faith? Does that mean that God decided that he wasn't going to be in my corner? Does that mean Jesus decided he was not no longer my co-pilot and grabbed a parachute and headed out? It's a consideration when you hold this kind of idea. Another title from the New York Times bestseller list from recent years, Become a Better You. Now, I think that I could make that into an accurate biblical proposition. It just depends on the reference point of either my subordination to my creator or, uh, unfortunately, if I continue to insist on a superior position. Become a better you. And here's one that, that actually had me excited about the possibilities. Uh, if you know Exodus chapter 3, when God and Moses were interacting for the first time, and God is commissioning Moses to be his representative uh, on the way to freeing the enslaved Hebrews, and he was commissioning Moses to leave the desert and go into Pharaoh's court and speak on his behalf, Moses to speak on God's behalf. Moses was doing his best to crawfish out of the responsibility and finally said, well, who, who, who shall I say sent me? And God said, in the Hebrew language, it's the, the, the tetragrammaton, which is the, uh, the yud hey vav hey, uh, four letters, uh, I am that I am, or I am who I am. It's, it's, it's the word Yahweh that, that we uh, know in, in our English translation. Uh, so when Jesus was confronted in, for example, John chapter 8, when the Pharisees wanted to know uh, who he was, Jesus used this same expression now in the Greek language, uh, ego I me, which is I am who I am. I am. And Jesus uses that several times also uh, in other places throughout the book of John when he talks about his identity as the bread of life, the light of the world, etc., It's the I am statement. So this is a, the popular Christian title, The Power of I Am. And I got excited when I saw that because I thought maybe, maybe finally there was a bestseller that properly put the, the Savior, the Redeemer, the Creator in his proper orientation. Uh, the subtext of the, of the title is two words that will change your life. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. And then I went to the table of contents and the trap door opened. Because I saw that every chapter began with an I am, and it turns out that I have now the responsibility to be the referent. I am the I am. <laughs> I am that I, I am that I am the I am. <laughs> uh, so if I didn't make that clear, uh, the power of I am means the power of me. And that, like we see in John chapter 8, when Jesus was talking to the Jewish religious culture, that's the ultimate blasphemy to put yourself in the place of God. Now, in Jesus's case, it's absolutely uh, valid. In my case, it's absolutely invalid, which means 
unable to do the job. So those are just a few titles that I saw on the New York Times bestseller list. In a more contemporary right now place in the uh, environment that I'm in, uh, there's, there's a more subtle title and uh, really the same messaging that's, that's couched in there, but it's a more subtle title with maybe more subtle uh, construction of language, but it still puts the, the creature in a superior position to the creator. And it's a book uh, called Fighting Your Battles. Fighting Your Battles. And it's designed mostly for Christian men. And for me, as someone who's interested in the biblical text being my primary authority in all matters of, of life, faith, and practice, uh, when I see fighting your battles, I immediately uh, go to the text that says the battle belongs to the Lord. And you might say, oh, man, you're cutting the baloney pretty fine. Uh, I am cutting the baloney pretty fine, but hopefully it's going to be well-served and nutritious uh, because the, the propositions inside the book, they repeat the, the theme that I've been discussing. We put the creator at the, the service point, at the, at the point of being in a supporting role to the creature. And this is what I mean. Uh, the creator is couched as the corner man in your boxing ring of life. So you are the boxer and the creator and the savior is your, your corner man. And the boxer is absolutely the primary character in the ring. Uh, the, 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 the next word picture, the next metaphor that subjugates the creator to the creature's purposes is that God is my spotter. I, I'm the weightlifter and God is my spotter. And he's there when I need him. When things get too heavy, when, I, when I've maxed out and I need you know, the first or, or next rep for my own PR, God is there to spot me. And that makes, again, obviously that, that the weight trainer, the weight lifter, is in a priority position and the creator is in a subordinate role. So I don't know if you've understood this to be true or recognize this in your own faith walk. Uh, if you live in the West, uh, it's the literally the air you breathe in most Christian contexts. Uh, it's it it's the messaging in in most of our Western uh, messages, our our our, mess, our sermons, uh, our literature, our our media of all kinds that we are the primary actor uh, in this best life now environment, and the Creator, the Savior, the Redeemer is there to ensure that to quote Pedro in Napoleon Dynamite, vote for me and all your wildest dreams will come true. That God is there to support the creature's wildest dreams and to ensure they come true. Uh, there's a technical term for this. It was couched by Christian Smith in a book uh, written in 2005, I believe. Is that correct, Jeff? 2005. Uh, it's a book that coins the term moralistic therapeutic deism. This is a condition that is specifically attendant to Western Christians, uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. A deism is a word uh, that's derived from the Greek and the Latin uh, deo, which is God. Theism is God now in his proper orientation. Deism is God uh, who is not necessarily interested in uh, things on a daily basis, but is there to ensure and support that, that the world uh, spins as it should. Uh, but Moralistic Therapeutic Deism is a book written, and it surveyed uh, teenagers in, in, the, in the United States or in the Western culture 
Do we have a demographic on that? I haven't looked into the 3,000. That's a good sample size. You don't mind if Jeff and I put this together on the on the fly here, do you? Uh, but as a, pa- a longtime pastor, I've seen M- MTD or moralistic therapeutic deism alive and well in most Christian uh, hearts, minds, and ideas about what the good life should be. Uh, so moralistic therapeutic deism is based on the core belief that the primary goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And I said, as I said recently in a message uh, in this church, this church that I'm privileged to serve in, if this is your view, if your if your vision of the good life is based on circumstances that make you happy and feel good about yourself and bring you affluence and and material prosperity, then your worldview is not not rooted in Scripture. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the Christian messaging is built not on a biblical worldview, but actually on this moralistic, therapeutic deism. Uh, so you might take a few minutes and examine your own uh, understanding of the good life if you're a professing Christian, and whether or not you know you see yourself as as subordinate to God's story and and privileged to participate in it, or that God is subordinate to your story and counts Himself privileged to make all your wildest dreams come true, because that's going to be a frustrating that will be a frustrating, fruitless experience for you in the long term. So as we get ready to close. I want to compare this Western understanding or this Western idea of moralistic therapeutic deism that the primary goal of life, uh, even as a Christian or especially as a Christian, is to be happy and feel good about myself. Uh, moralistic meaning I, I, I improve my life. Therapeutic means I feel good about myself and the, the deism there, God as a support system to make sure uh, that my life here is every day a Friday. Uh, that's actually not the gospel, uh, the comprehensive gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the faith once and for all delivered to the saints, as Jude reminds us, to, that we agonize for, to to climb back to, uh, to strain back to when we when we leave the guardrails of primary proper gospel thinking. The gospel is true for all places, all times, and all people. A gospel that's not true for all places, all times, and all people is not the gospel. So, for example, just right now in a contemporary way, we don't even have to leave this time and space. In 2022, if I were to take this understanding of God's design for me into the house churches of China, which they're just waiting for a knock at the door, waiting for, uh, if I were to take this this idea of the gospel into the the most persecuted areas of the world. And I don't know if I've said this before on the Pinocchio Project. Every year, uh, there are more and more believers martyred for their faith uh, around the world than the previous year. More and more every year. If I were to take the gospel into those places, death is right around the corner. Loss of status, loss of job, uh, loss of family are, are just a breath away. And I were to say that God is here to make sure that every day is a Friday and you need to fight your battles and you are the I am and you can become a better you and you have the choice of whether or not to be materially prosperous and you're living your best life now, that would be totally nonsensical. There would be, there would be no anchor point for those believers. And as I close, 
I'd like to say in a strange way, it may cause you to turn your head at me like the RCA dog in that old commercial. Hmm? The believers in those places most certainly, on the whole, have a richer, deeper, more intimate faith in Jesus Christ and will probably, if we don't rearrange our relationship and subordinate our lives to the Creator, put Him in His primary place, they will most certainly experience at the judgment seat mentioned in 2 Corinthians 5.10, a commendation that we can only hope for. For the Pinocchio Project, signing off, this is Mitch Friedman. Thanks so much for being with us on the Pinocchio Project today. If this podcast has value for you, please subscribe or follow. Give us a five-star rating and share. If you have an everyday idea you'd like to submit for us to examine, simply email us at pinocchioprojectpod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at pinocchiopod, or you can hit the links in the show notes below. Thanks again for listening, and remember, your everyday ideas have significant consequences.